Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, if you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 994 in that Bible. We encourage you to come read along with us. We are wrapping up today our series, Christ Stories, Parables for Today. We've spent the last eight weeks here. We've been going through some of the teachings of Jesus and taking time to dig into what did he teach us and what example did he set for us. Our key verse for the series has been 1 John 2, 6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. With a ton of grace, because understanding that Jesus is the only perfect one. Uh, none of us are perfect, but it means that we are ordering our life after what he taught us and how he lived. And so we are going to take seriously the way that he taught us to live and the example that he set for us, and we're going to drive our life in that direction, that if we're going to call ourselves Christ followers, we want to follow after the teaching and example of Jesus. And so because of that, we thought it's a really good reason to dig into some of the teaching of Jesus. What did he teach? And parables are one of the great ways that he taught us, stories that uh, teach us a truth about God or about the kingdom of God or about salvation or about ourselves uh, in kind of an easy-to-access way that we can remember as we look to apply it to our lives. So as we are going to jump in today, I've shared stories like this with you before. Uh, I'm just, I'm fascinated by stories from history and stories from life where little things have really big impact. Little things happen and there's a, a significant after effect of that little thing happening. Uh, so I want to share a couple of those types of stories today. There is a ship that is about to cross the ocean. This, this is a true story. And as it's getting ready to leave the harbor, there's a last-minute switch in the crew. There's a crew member who is supposed to go on the journey, and he gets assigned at the last minute to a different ship, and a new crew member comes to take his place. And in the last-minute kind of scramble of the two crew members switching ships, uh, there's a key that doesn't get passed off from the one crew member to the next. So the guy who was supposed to go on the journey had a key, and he ended up taking it with him accidentally on his new ship. So the boat sets out, and the new crew member realizes is, oh, I don't have that key. I never got that key. It unlocks the storage cabinet. Well, it's too late now. Uh, we're just going to have to live without it. And as it turns out, very importantly, that the, what was in that storage cabinet that they didn't have access to uh, was binoculars. And the binoculars went to the crew who sat at the top of the ship and kept an eye out for other ships and different things, including icebergs. And the ship we're talking about is the Titanic. And there were no binoculars in the crow's nest that night, and so they weren't able to see what was coming. And just the, the seemingly insignificant detail of a change of crew and a missed key had massive effect. There were huge things that came out of that seemingly little thing. Fast forwarding a little bit, there's a young man who wants to be an artist for a living. This is some of his work. It's, I don't know if it's good or not. It's better than what I can do, I can tell you for sure. And he's around 20 years old, and he's, his whole life he has wanted to be an artist. And so he applies at a prestigious art school in Europe, and he is rejected harshly. He is told, you're not good enough. You will not be an artist. And so he decides to reapply again a year later. And a year later, uh, he takes a year, and he, he works on his craft, and he takes classes, and he studies, and this is his dream. He has wanted to do this his whole life. And so he is going to be a professional artist. It's everything in his life has been driving to this point. And he applies again, and he re gets rejected again, and gets rejected brutally. 
and he is told, you will never be an artist. Maybe you can be an architect, but you will definitely never be an artist. And so he carries on and, and tries to carry on with his life, and he starts to get very bitter. His dreams have been crushed, and the people were awful to him. And, and that bitterness starts to grow, and he doesn't have a career anymore because his dreams have been shattered, and so he's looking for something to do. He begins to get involved in politics, and the man we're talking about is Adolf Hitler. Now, obviously, there was more going on in Hitler's life than just the art thing. But I just, man, what if he'd gotten into art school? Or what if the rejection had been less brutal? Like, what if, right? A seemingly small thing had massive impact for the planet. One more. There is a medical laboratory in London, England. And they are specifically studying uh, how do we fight against bacteria? There are, are strep infections, there are staph infections. Uh, at the time, there's no way to fight them. They just take over people's bodies, and even if they don't kill them, there's often you know, long-term effects. And so how can we attack bacteria? How can we solve this problem? And so the lab shuts down for a few weeks because uh, everyone's going on holidays. And one of the scientists comes back from holiday. And when he walks into the room and he flips on the light, the place has been left a mess. Uh, whoever was in the lab last didn't clean anything up. And so there were petri dishes everywhere, and they had bacteria in them that they'd been studying and trying to fight, and they're all just uncovered. And so all the work that they're doing is wasted. Everything has been spoiled because people left this lab messy. And so as he's grumbling around and starting to clean up from the other jerks in his laboratory who left a mess, he notices that one of the petri dishes has mold growing in it. And he's like, oh, they were so messy that there's mold growing. Like, that's how bad these guys were at cleaning up. And now this whole experiment is ruined. And yet, as he looks at it, he realizes that where the mold spots are on the Petri dish, the bacteria has disappeared around the mold. And so there's something in this mold that is actually fighting, that is actually killing bacteria. That's what we've been trying to solve. That's what we've been trying to figure out. And so, you know, years of study and, and work go into this, and they're able to extract from the mold something that we call penicillin. And penicillin is the first of what we call antibiotics, things that can fight off bacteria, fight off infections. How many millions or tens of millions or hundreds of millions of lives have been saved, all because someone was sloppy in a lab and didn't clean up the Petri dish. The man who walked in was Sir Alexander Fleming, uh, and he's called the father of penicillin now, or the father of antibiotics. And it all happened because someone left a dish out and didn't clean it up. A seemingly insignificant thing that has had massive effect, massive benefit and blessing for the world. And so there's a little bit of that in where we're going today. There's, uh, in chaos theory, there's something called the butterfly effect, which you may have heard of before. Uh, little things have a big impact. And the, the theory, the metaphor they use is uh, a butterfly flaps its wings in China, and it causes a snowstorm in New York City. And it's just a theory. But the idea that the butterfly flaps its wings, a little poof of wind comes from that, and that joins with another poof of wind, and that triggers something else, and then it grows. And by the time it crosses the planet, there's a storm. It's just a theory. But you've probably heard the term the butterfly effect before. Little things can have a big impact. And that's where Jesus is going in our teaching today, Matthew chapter 25. So for our final parable in the series, let's look at our text. Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. Jesus is teaching. He says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. 
Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Well, these parables are not light and fluffy all the time, right? Some of these are, are challenging, and, and we want to dig into the challenge of that. Uh, these teachings are important. So the parable of the sheep and the goats, it's ultimately uh, talking about judgment, talking about final judgment. And one of the things Jesus does throughout his teaching is he challenges us consistently to look beyond just the world we live in now, to have an eternal mindset as we live our lives. And where it's so easy just to get caught up in today and the actions of today and the sins of today and the pleasures of today, Jesus constantly reminds us today isn't the end. There is eternity to come, and eternity is a lot longer than today. And so if you read through the prophets of the Old Testament, eternity doesn't show up that much. It's definitely in there. But a lot of the prophets, as they come to Israel, their job is to say, you know, come back to God now and live your life for God now and, and set your life right now and live your life according to his commandments. Return to the law, return to the covenant. Uh, and so there's a lot of focus on today. Jesus does both. He says, yes, this is how you are to live your life, not just for today, but the little things we do in this life have eternal consequences according to this parable. There are little things that we do or don't do in this life, and the ramifications might be enormous. And as we go through this parable, I just love the language of this. This is just a side point, but I wanted to point it out uh, that when Jesus is talking to the righteous in this story, the sheep, verse 34, he says, Come, you who are blessed, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. The kingdom of heaven, it's for you. It was made for you. God built it for you. God wants you there with him. That is his heart for you. The kingdom was made for you. On the flip side of that, verse 41, the, the, the goats, the cursed, go into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Not prepared for you. That was not there for you. Sometimes people struggle with the question of, you know, why would God send people to hell? Why would God have hell there for people to go into? It wasn't for us, ever. That was not ever what he wanted. There is something there to deal with Satan, the personification of evil, and everything that is wicked and rebellious in this world. His heart is for us to go to the kingdom that he made just for us. 
to be in heaven with him forever. And he has given everybody an out. And, and, and we, have given, we are given that choice of, of who will you follow. And if we say, I will follow Jesus, we will follow him right to the kingdom that was prepared for us since the creation of the world. If we say, I'm going to reject following Jesus, there is another place. It wasn't prepared for us, but we'll follow the enemy right there as well. And so these parables, some of these are, are hard-hitting, and they bring eternity all of a sudden into very sharp focus for us. And there's a, a, a clarity to it and a finality to it that Jesus brings into this parable. And, and to read the parable on its own, uh, it reads a little bit like, well, if you do good things, you'll get to heaven. Uh, if you don't do good things, you'll go to hell. And, and we would just, I just want to unpack briefly uh, for a second because we, we would push back against that simplicity. We've come to this verse many times in the series, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you are saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not from works so that no one can boast. It's not from your good deeds. It's not from your good actions. No one gets to heaven because they do a lot of good stuff. Uh, the heart of the gospel is it's the gift of God. Everyone is invited to heaven. It's a gift of God for you. You accept it either or reject it, but you have the option of saying, yes, I will receive the gift and I will follow Jesus and I will follow him right to the place that was prepared for me. If I reject the gift, there's no place prepared for me anymore and I'll follow the enemy into the place that was prepared for him. So by his grace, we just, we throw ourselves on his mercy. We say, I have sinned, I have, I have stumbled, I have rejected, I have done awful things, I have said awful things, but I throw myself on the mercy of the Lord. And I ask him for his forgiveness. I ask him for the gift that he offers. Lord Jesus, I want your gift of salvation. I want to follow you to the place that was prepared for me. We are saved by grace through faith. And so in this parable, there's not a lot of talk of grace and faith, but the Bible also says, although we're saved by grace through faith, faith without works is dead, James writes. So faith without action accompanying it can't be called real faith. If we really believe this, if we really believe that Jesus is Lord, if we really believe that he is good, if we really believe that he has saved us, if we really are followers of his, then our life is going to look like that. Then righteous acts are going to be a part of that. So the sheep and goats aren't going to heaven or hell based on what they did. But as they are either walking by this grace or rejecting this grace, that's showing up in their lives. And they're standing before God at the end and getting judged in this way. And that's our first important point. We will be judged. Even Christians will be judged. There is a judgment day for all of us. It is appointed to man to die once and then to suffer judgment. We will all stand before God and we will give an account. Matthew 25, 31, all the nations will be gathered before him. All people, everyone, every tribe, tongue, creed, race, everybody will stand before God and they will give an account for what they did for, with their lives. And now the Bible also tells us what we will be judged on. Would you like to know? It's probably important, right? Sarah's in midterms right now at school, and what's going to be on the exam is pretty important to know if you're trying to prepare for the exam. So the Bible tells us this. This will be super encouraging. Every action, every word, every motive, every thought, every attitude. Woo! So everything you've done, not just what you've done. Jesus said every careless word, and not just careless words, every motive, right? Not just what you did, but why you did it. And every thought and every attitude. Yeah, when you did that thing, but you were real snarky about it, it's been recorded. We will give an account for all of it. Everything, everything, right? That's what it's getting at. Everything. Everything we have done. 
we will give an account. We will stand before God and have to answer for what we've done. And a lot of what we see in this parable, uh, when the judgment is happening, and Jesus is, is talking to both the sheep and the goats, and he, he gives them some examples of, here's the things I'm pleased with, and here's the things that I wasn't pleased with. And as he does that, the focus is on little things. It's not, hey, I'm pleased with your life because, you know, you, you gave away billions to charity and you transformed the planet and you invented, you know, penicillin or whatever. Now, you'll get judged by that, I guess, because if we're going to get judged on everything. But the things that Jesus brings up in this judgment are not huge things. They are little things. Verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Uh, none of those are huge things. None of those are overwhelming things. None of those are things that we couldn't all do today. And so Jesus is paying attention to the little ways in which we are demonstrating love and care and compassion for other people. Are we being faithful to show love to those around us? Are we being faithful to fulfill the great commandment, to love God and to love others? Are we being faithful to do that? These are the things that show up. And so there's not a huge list of amazing accomplishments that Jesus brings up, although, hey, if you've got that, good for you. But when Jesus is talking to the sheep and talking to the goats, it's, hey, there's little ways in which you could have shown love to somebody, and you either did that or you didn't. That's what's coming up. And it takes such little effort to do the things that he's talking about on this list. It takes such little effort to love people in a practical way. And, and not to say some needs aren't bigger and take more, but, you know, to invite someone over, to share a meal with someone, to open up your table, to, to bring soup to someone who's sick, to, to visit someone, to, to take care of a need just in a practical way, to give someone a hug, to give someone some encouragement. It takes such little effort to make someone's day. Such little effort. And yet these things are hugely important in heaven's eyes, obviously. Like, are you welcoming a stranger, right? At church, at your workplace, in your life, when you see someone you don't know, are you making them feel welcome? Because Jesus brings that up as something that's important to him. When we first moved down here uh, from Sudbury, where our last church was, it's been uh, four years almost. This summer it'll be four years. And as we moved down... Uh, the house closed, and Sarah came down a day early. She came down on closing day to get the keys and everything. And then there was a team of people who met Sarah at the house, and some of you in this room were there. Uh, and they scrubbed the house from top to bottom. Just they completely cleaned it out while it was empty, and they even like, had toothbrushes out and were doing the grouting. Like They went to town on the place. And so it was just sparkling spank and clean by the time they were done. And then I got down the next day with the truck, and there was another group that met the truck and helped unload the truck, and some of you were there for that as well. And so we don't know Leamington at all at that point. We don't know our church that well at all. We don't know anybody in our neighborhood at that point. We're new to this city and new to this area and new to this church. And as we come down, we are just met with a whole bunch of people who just welcomed us and showed love to us in a really practical way and my wife said, as we settled after that second day, she said, oh, it just felt like our family was welcoming us home. 
And it did. That's exactly what it felt like. It felt like family. And one of the things we've talked about in this series is how Jesus redefines the word family, where we tend to think of it in terms of our bloodline or who we marry. But Jesus says it's going to go beyond that for followers of Jesus because you probably wouldn't go help a complete stranger unload their truck. Maybe you will after today. But naturally, you won't naturally go to a stranger. But you would do that for your brother, right, if your brother was moving. Right? If your spouse is in prison, you would go visit your spouse. You probably wouldn't go visit a total stranger, naturally. Uh, and so what Jesus is doing is saying, yeah, but now it's time to look beyond just your blood. Now it's time to look beyond just your marriage. Now family means something different. And, and how are you loving and supporting others as if they were your flesh and blood family? What does that look like for you in your life? Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 10, verse 42, and if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Jesus is looking at these things. If you bring a cup of water to a child, Jesus remembers that. So you've got parents of toddlers, you're going, yes, score. That's all I do is bring them milk. That's all I do, all day and all night. Even a cup of cold water. Again, these things are not big. Anybody can bring a glass of water to somebody, but are we actually doing it? Are we actually being faithful and not just for our family? Because Jesus tells us no extra credit for loving your family. Everybody does that. But can you love beyond your family? Can you love even your enemy? Can you love even them and bring them a cup of cold water? Can you do that? So how are we loving people in, in just little but very practical and important ways? Because the other thing this parable teaches us is that Jesus takes it all personally when we do that. He doesn't just take it as, oh, how are my kids doing amongst themselves? He says, no, this is, is like you're treating me this way. Verse 37 through 40, the king will tell the sheep, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Wow. And so there's a bit of confusion amongst the people when Jesus is saying, you know, you fed me, you clothed me, or you didn't feed me, you didn't clothe me. And both groups are saying, when, Jesus, we never, we never saw you. Like, you're, you're up in heaven, right? Like, we, when did we ever have an opportunity to feed you? When did we ever have an opportunity to not feed you? Like, when that, I just, I'm very confused as to how this is working. But Jesus is saying, no, when you did that for someone else, you did it for me. That's how personally I take it. I take it as if you did that to me. And likewise, on the flip side of that, for the, for the goats in verse 44, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So when you walked on by or when you ignored that need in your life or, or you didn't invite that person to sit at your table, then I'll consider that you rejected me. You walked by me. You ignored me. Ha! Huh. Changes things. And so as we, you know, let the, the truth of this sink in, uh, we have something we call the golden rule. It's taught by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, which is treat others the way you would want to be treated. And it's an amazing tool, right, to get us thinking outside of ourselves, to get us to not just focus on what I want or what I need, but to go, how would I want to be treated? The parable of the Good Samaritan. If I was beaten on the side of the road, would I want someone to ignore me or would I want someone to help me? Well, then I better help people in that scenario. If someone is hungry, if someone is financially lacking, if someone is sick, would I want to be ignored? Would I want to struggle on my own? Or would I want someone to come alongside me and help me out? If I would want the help, then I better help others. So it's a tremendous motivator 
that, that we start to get our heads in, what does it look like to put yourself in someone else's shoes, to, to see things through their perspective, to, to be aware of the needs and the wants and the, the hurts of others, and where we might be able to step in and help out, because we would want to be helped in that scenario. Now, even this, we can play with a little bit. I had a guy in my last church, and he was really, like, viciously blunt and, and disrespectful towards other people when he disagreed. And so I sat with him one time, and I said, you're, you're, you're being pretty disrespectful to people. And based on this, he said, I don't care if people are disrespectful to me. He said, as long as they're honest, I'm fine with them being disrespectful. So I, I can be dishonest because I just, I just want truth. Truth is the only thing that matters is truth. And so even this, we can kind of twist a little bit, right? Sometimes we can say, well, you know what? I'm kind of quiet and shy. I wouldn't want to help somebody else out on the side of the road. I'm, I'm a bit too timid to do that. So I'm okay to walk on by. But Jesus in this parable takes things to another level. The golden rule is treat others the way you would want to be treated. But what Jesus gives us as a rule in this parable is treat others the way you would treat me, he says. Treat others the way you would treat me. And I can't imagine being disrespectful to Jesus. I can't imagine walking by him on the side of the road if he's hurting. I can't imagine not feeding him. Uh, I can't imagine that. And so this can help us as we're looking to, to people in our lives where there's hurt, where there's neediness, where there's lack, is to start to see Jesus in them. And to say, you know, when I take a step towards this person, I'm not just helping them. I am doing that, but I'm also taking a step towards the Lord. And when I'm meeting this need in that person, I'm not just meeting their need. I'm doing that. But I'm also meeting the need as if it were the Lord himself. And that's a better motivator, I think, than just treat others the way you would want to be treated. It's treat others the way you would treat him. If he were right in front of you, if he were in need, if he were struggling or suffering, what would we do for him? Now go and do likewise for others as well. And the things that Jesus lists, again, are not big things in the parable. Share a meal, give a drink, show kindness, welcome to strangers. Help the needy, care for the sick, visit the imprisoned. And that should not be considered, I think, an exclusive list of check them off and you're done, but just anywhere there's need, anywhere someone is struggling, anywhere someone is lacking. The little things we do or don't do in this life have a ripple effect into eternity. We learn from this parable. Little things can have a very big impact. And the thing about this list is there's nothing here that we can't do. There's nothing here that anyone in this room couldn't do, right? We could all invite someone over for lunch. We could all uh, find someone we don't know and, and welcome them. We could all help out in some way. We could all bring, you know, chicken soup to someone who's sick. Like, there's nothing on here that's not doable. It's all kind of broken down into a really easy, practical way. The ways that we can show love don't have to be huge, major sacrifices, but they're just practical, day-to-day -day ways in which we can love and care for one another. There's nothing here that's, that's difficult to do. But the thing about these things is, is that they aren't hard to do, but they're really easy to miss. They're not hard to do, but they're really easy to miss, just in the busyness of life, right? No one wakes up and thinks, I'm just going to be kind of self-centered today. But it's just the day goes by, and we've got work, and we've got kids, and we've got responsibility, and we've got chores, and all of a sudden the day's gone. Did you help anybody today? Did you find a need to meet it? Oh, I didn't mean to not. It's just the day just went. These things aren't hard to do, but they're really easy to miss. They're really easy to make excuses for in the busyness of life. But the challenge of Jesus throughout this series has been, okay, where are we looking beyond ourselves? Where are we putting the needs of others first? Where are we willing to do that? What does love look like for us? And the Bible actually tells us 
really clearly. 1 John 3, 16 to 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. What is love? It's defined. There's a biblical definition. This is how we know what love is. Right? Love is big and abstract, and it's hard to get our heads around, and poets and sages for you know, generations have tried to explain love. The Bible does it in a sentence. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ died for us. Love can look like something, and in our view, love looks like a cross. That Jesus loved us so much, he went to the cross for us. That Jesus put us before himself so much that he put himself under torture and death for us. That's what love looks like. This is how we know what love is. Love has a name and love has a picture, and it's Jesus Christ, and it's the cross. Love is defined. And yet John doesn't stop writing there. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. That for what we've been given, it's not just for us, it's to be given away. As we have been loved, we are to love. As we have been sacrificed for, we are to sacrifice for others. The gift that we've been given is not just for us to hold on to and say, wow, how amazing that God gave me this gift. We do that, but then we take a step further. Now, how may I give this gift away? How may I love in the way that I've been loved? We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Sidebar, ouch, going back. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Put another way, talk is cheap. We can say I love you all the time, but love needs to be backed up with something. And Jesus backed it up with a cross. And then says, love others in the same way. And so there's a, a call to do something with that love. Love is just a fond wish. It's just a warm feeling if we don't actually do something with that. The classic example is if I say I love my wife, but I neglect her, and I'm never home, and I'm verbally abusive and emotionally abusive, and you saw all of that happening, you would rightly ask the question, why, why do you say you love your, life, your wife? It doesn't look like love an awful lot. Like Love is more than just a word. It's more than just a feeling. Love shows up in action in some way. And Jesus sets the best example of that for us. And so as Jesus is teaching in this parable, uh, saying, you know, when you do these practical little things, I take that very personally, right? That's what love looks like. It is sacrificing for the sake of others. It's putting others' needs ahead of your own. It's being willing to be inconvenienced, willing to be uh, wronged even. It's being willing to, to give up something for somebody else in order to put them before yourselves. And Jesus doesn't just teach that. That's what he set as an example for us. He shows us that on the cross, he puts us before himself entirely. And Jesus says, when you treat other people in this way, or when you don't, I take that personally. And if you think about the, the people you love most in the world, if you think about your kids, or about your spouse, or your parents, or your siblings, or whoever that is, whoever you love most in the world, if they're at the side of the road and they're starving, and someone comes alongside them and gives them something to eat, your heart is going to be filled to overflowing for whoever that was, right? You are going to take that personally. 
right? They went to the one I love and they took care of that need. And for the people who walked on by because they were too busy or, or whatever other excuses we made up, you'd have a hard time letting it go for that person, right? Because the one you love the most was right there in need and no one stopped to help. And so Jesus kind of jars us with this parable, right? It's, it's a bit jarring uh, of just the, the juxtaposition of here on earth and eternity and, and doing things for other people, which we thought was just for other people. But then Jesus says, no, I take that personally as if you do it or don't do it for me. And it causes us to take a look at our lives and remember that for all of us, judgment day is coming. And if we are Christ followers, we know that our, our destination is not being determined at Judgment Day. That has already been decided if we've said yes to Jesus. But we will still give an account for everything. There is still a, a standing before God and an explaining of what we've done with our, our time here on earth. And, and Jesus is watching this stuff. And he's not just watching the big stuff. He's watching the little stuff as well. It's the little things that have big consequences. Come on up, worship team. We're just about done. Just as we wrap up, we have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. And uh, yeah, people send in comments or questions or thoughts, and we're just happy to keep the conversation going. So if you want to keep chatting about the message, we're more than happy to do that. The beauty of the parable of the sheep and the goats is that nothing that gets talked about in terms of things to do, our heart, right? There's nothing that we can't do. There's nothing that all of us couldn't start doing. We can do it right now. The minute the service is done, you can go find a stranger and invite him to lunch, right? You can open up your table to somebody. So the beauty of the parable is that nothing there is that difficult. Uh, the challenge of the parable is nothing there is that difficult. It's hard to make excuses that, that will stand up on Judgment Day. So how are we loving one another in practical ways? Are we looking uh, for ways in which we can be the hands and feet of Jesus? Are we looking for ways that we can meet needs? Uh, are we finding those opportunities? Or are we missing those opportunities? Are we making excuses to not engage? Are we, are we just too busy? Or are we finding ways to walk by? Are we just not seeing because our eyes aren't open? But one day we will stand and give an account. And so uh, I know it's a jarring message. Let's let ourselves be jarred. It's not a bad thing, right? Because it forces us to look beyond ourselves. It forces us to look beyond this life here on earth. It forces us to look to the Lord and the example he sets on the cross and say, okay, if that's what love looks like, where am I living out that love in my life for other people? We've been here for eight weeks in this series. We started off uh, with a message called Coming Home prodigal son. Uh, we just wanted that to be the foundation. That we've all been welcomed back home. Uh, that invitation is for anybody who has wandered, for anybody who has walked away, for anybody who has sinned. We are welcomed back into the family of God by the goodness and the grace of God coming home. Pastor Xavier makes these tiles for us, by the way, for our social media. The next week was the Good Samaritan. We called it Messy and Inconvenient Love. That love is not always neat and clean and tidy. Love requires us sometimes to shake up our plans, to shake up our preferences, to put others before ourselves. We are called to be a loving people. And we are called to be a sacrificial people for the sake of others. Hypocritical mercy was the parable of the unmerciful servant. As we have been forgiven, we are called to be forgiving. Again, the gifts that come to us from God aren't just for our benefit. They are that, but they are meant to be given away. So as we have been forgiven, we are to be a forgiving people towards others in our lives. Seated at the table was the parable of the wedding seats. We are called to be humble people and welcoming people. We're called to open up our table 
Our family is not just our family. We're called to invite others in as well. We follow that up with an open invitation, the parable of the wedding banquet, the great banquet. Uh, just as we have been invited by this gospel, we are to invite others as well. It's not just for us. Entrusted was a message about stewardship with our time, with our talents, with our treasures. Uh, what are we doing with what we've been given? The gifts that God has put in our hand. How are we using them to glorify God and to be a blessing to others? Last week's message we didn't actually get to because we, uh, the Holy Spirit kind of interrupted our service in a cool way, but we did put it up online. It was the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. A uh, rich man has everything. Lazarus uh, on his doorstep has nothing, and the rich man ignores him entirely. Uh, so we were challenged to look at our doorstep, and the message is online. If you missed it, we recorded it anyway. Uh, to take a look and not just be involved in ourselves, but who is around us that we can reach out to. And then we wrap up today with the sheep and the goats uh, looking to find opportunities to love people in practical ways, not to miss those opportunities. And this wasn't planned when the series was coming together. Uh, we were just we just wanted to focus on parables, but as it started to come together, uh, there was this thread going through it that you've probably picked up on of, wow, Jesus talks a lot about how we treat other people. Jesus talks a lot about what love looks like towards others. And so that sort of unintentionally has ended up being the theme as we wrap up this series, Christ Stories, Parables for Today, wanting to take a serious look at what Jesus has taught us because our key verse has been 1 John 2, 6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And it's all, the other theme that has shown up over and over again is that everything he calls us to do is out of the overflow of the blessings that he has given us, right? We have been loved by him. And so we are to love others. We have been forgiven by him. And so we are to forgive others. We've been given time and talent and treasures by him. And so we are to use those to bless others. We have been cared for by him. And so we are to care for others out of the gifts that he has given. We are not to hoard those things, but we are to give them away. And not just hold on to them for ourselves, but follow in his footsteps as best we can. Understanding that no one is perfect but him but that we are setting our lives on this scripture, that if I'm gonna call myself a Jesus follower, I actually wanna live my life the way Jesus lived it. We're gonna spend some time in one more worship song and then we'll wrap up today. I'll ask you to stand to your feet as we acknowledge the God who has given all of these gifts to us. Father, uh, as we have sung, even the breath in our bodies is a gift from you. Everything we have comes to us as gift by your goodness and by your grace. Nothing of ourselves that we bring to the table, even just the breath in our lungs, comes from your mercy and your love and your care for us. And so with gratitude, Lord, we look at our lives and we see where you have loved us where you have forgiven us, where you have taken care of us, where you have given us gifts and talents and, and financial support. And in all of those things, Lord, we now look beyond ourselves and say, Lord, where can we glorify you? Where can we serve others with what we've been given? Every gift that you have showered down upon us, where can we share that gift with other people, Lord? And I pray that you open our eyes because whoever claims to be a follower of Jesus must follow Jesus, your word says. And so we acknowledge that there is no one perfect but him. We are all sinners who struggle and stumble along the way. But Lord, what is the next step for us now? 
open up our eyes to look around at our lives and help us answer that question, what's just a next step I can take to be a bit more like Jesus in this way? And as we are faithful to step out, Lord, into what you have called us to do as we are doing this out of our obedience to you, your teachings and your word, Lord, we pray that you will transform us by your spirit and by your word, that you will make us more like Jesus as we follow in the way of Jesus. That, Father, we will have your heart, we will have your mind, we will see other people the way you see them, Lord God, that you would renew us and change us and transform us into the very likeness of Jesus as we follow after him and seek to order our lives in that way. Lord, with grateful hearts, we say together, thank you for every gift that you have given to us. Help us to give away what you have given to us as we follow after Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you want prayer, come on forward.